everyone. Welcome back to the Not Just Bikini Girl podcast. This is your host, Jasmine Anderson. And today I'm super, super excited to have this lady on. I've been following her Instagram, um, like a world girl fan here for ages. And I just love the way she talks about eating, training, food, mindset and all that stuff. And I know that a lot of people have wanted her on the podcast. So I thought I might as well get her on. So welcome to Amelia Thompson, PhD. Hello. Thank you for having me. Thank you. I'm excited to talk forever today. <laughs> so you've done, just to give a bit of an overview to people if you don't know her already, she's had a fantastic competing season last year. She came first place in PCO Body Power, Saxon Classic. She's now part of Team GB and she became second, I think it was second place in the PCA finals. And I know that you were on prep for a long, long time. Um, and I've, this is actually something that I've never done personally. I'm really interested to hear about kind of how you go about it because I know from a health standpoint it can either kind of well it can go either two ways um I don't know if you agree with that from what I've seen so how did you deal with that prep for so long yeah it's quite it's quite tough um I think that the between two shows is the really the toughest point it's not so much the the long duration so I had Saxon um, in April and then I did body power four weeks after that and then finals was six weeks after that so you don't have long enough to kind of enter into any sort of growth kind of off-season type period and um, but you also can't stay on this kind of really low calorie diet and stay super lean for that whole time and um, so health-wise it's really hard because you're just in a prolonged overly lean state um, and there's no way of getting out of that really until you finish your season you have to deal with it then you're it's really hard you your mindset after a show you know yourself and anyone that's competed before is very much like I just need to eat and you just want to eat and even though um you've had a meal you feel like you should be satisfied you're not um, and so that kind of between shows especially like the first couple of weeks after a show you it you almost just treat it like any other post-show time when you just try and eat and recover as much as you can um and then you just rein it back in for a couple of weeks before the next show so it's quite hard you do go through two maybe two weeks of just eating a lot of food um and it's it's hard to mentally accept that it's okay to eat food because you've obviously, like any competition prep, you've told yourself for that long that you need to be lean and diet. You, you get on stage and then, and then you know that in four weeks' time you're back on stage, so you should still be in that diet mindset, but you're not because you're post-show. It's really, really tough, actually. It was harder last year than I, than I anticipated because I did so many shows in a row. Um, but, it's yeah, it's an experience. You learn from it. Is that, so was <laughs> that your first year doing is free shows that you did, wasn't it? Um, yeah, so I've done two shows before. I've done like week on week, so two peak weeks in a row, which is physically really tough, but mentally it's fine. You just are exhausted. And so I've done that before. Um, and I've done spells where I've done like a show and maybe two or three months after I've done finals. So a few years ago I did that. So there was a couple of months in between shows. So that was fine. And um, this is the first time I've done kind of show one month show, one month basically, and then another show. So that's, yeah, yeah, the longest time I've spent at that kind of really extreme lean level, probably. So when you come from like your show in April to for, to May to June, um, did you kind of push your weight up slightly, come back down, or did you just kind of stay there? Kind of yeah, I pushed I push my weight up slightly. Um, 
purely because it, I, I'm quite a lean competitor. That's one of my things. I don't struggle to get lean. So for me, um, I pushed my weight up slightly because I knew it would just come straight back down again. My problem is trying to maintain muscle mass. And if you are naturally, generally if you're a tall person, um, so you, you might know this yourself, if you're tall or you're naturally quite lean from like growing up, you, your problem is not getting lean. Your problem is trying to maintain muscle. So when you are at that very lean level, your muscle is then starting to be a little bit threatened anyway. You do start to break down a little bit of your muscle. So psychologically, it's okay to say, oh, I'm going to have a few weeks where I push my weight up because um, you know it's just going to come straight back off again anyway. Um, and my feedback from shows, it depends on your feedback from shows. If your feedback from a show is that you're not lean enough, then you can't afford to do that and you just have to keep dieting through it. But if your feedback is, is fine, so my, one of my feedbacks from the first show was don't really change anything. So I thought I can afford to eat a little bit for a few weeks because I know how much I can take off again in the next few weeks after that. So um, your weight does go up and then comes back down again. You'd have to try and ignore it a little bit. <laughs> so depending on how time is between shows, you might push up and then come back down. Do you do that with clients as well is that a normal thing that you see as well yeah I will I'm one of those coaches that were I'm very aware of what my clients need after a show and then and if they've got enough time I will always give them you know at least I give them a week off tracking I give them a couple of days where I say eat what you want and then I say right for the second half of the week focus on getting as many different nourishing foods as you can so I want to see variety you know, you're not limited on how much, but I want it to be really nutrient dense. And so that's what I'll do with clients. And if they've got multiple shows, unless it's week on week. So if they've got, say, a month between two shows, then I will just do exactly that. Say, a you know, a couple of days off where you can eat what you want. The rest of the week nourishing and then back on diet for the next few weeks. It's generally what I'll do. I like that. Actually. I've never heard of that. A coach actually give that plan. Myself, personally, it was kind of, I think it was have a day or two off and then go back on it and I just gave myself a day and I, I, I was personally okay but I know other girls kind of do struggle with that side I know you have spoken about that a lot because um, I know that when you did your reverse diet you put on your blog post that you just went straight quite a big push up um, and I know that some girls were kind of a bit shocked by that but I, I definitely do stand by what this kind of perspective that you took on it um don't you want to kind of expand on that more yeah um I think that when I wrote that blog and when I decided I wasn't going to do reverse dieting, that was quite a, it, I was I was probably more of an anomaly in like the bikini world um, because everyone just jumps on this reverse diet bandwagon where they think that this is what they're supposed to do because they see it on social media. Um, for me, I have got more of a, a more of a binge type personality. So the, it depends on the type of personality you've got. If you are someone who doesn't have that any sort of binge mentality at all and you are very restrictive with your food um, anyway and you're happy to stick to a plan, reverse dieting where you just slowly increase your food over time can work really, really well for you. But if you have any sort of binge mentality at all after a show, it is hugely exacerbated and a lot of people don't tell, are not honest about that. Um, and some people are honest about it, but still think that they need to do this reverse diet. And what happens is that they restrict themselves as they're on this reverse diet and then they, they end up binging on it, making themselves feel worse, um, then restricting again the next day. And they just continually binge. So for me, I just whack my calories up just above maintenance pretty much straight away. Um, 
because then I don't feel any sort of binge need because I've got all these calories to play with and I can eat like nutrient dense food. And actually, if you've got somebody who is on a reverse diet and they're binging all the time, their calorie intake is probably higher than it would be if they just whacked their calories up in the first place. And, and the psychology of it and the mentality of it is so much more important. You know, if you are on a reverse diet and binging, you feel crap about yourself. You know, if you're on a diet where you've got more calories and you're eating more, you feel pretty good because you're sticking to a plan, you know, just because the calories are higher, you're still sticking to a plan. Um, so this year, I've had some clients that have tried to reverse diet in the last, so maybe from the, in the last six months, I've had some that try and reverse diet and then within a couple of weeks, they're like, it's not for me. And they just put their calories back up and it's scary because they gain weight faster. But one of the things that sets your metabolic rate is how heavy you are. And if you're heavier, your metabolic rate is faster. So it's a good thing. So um, most of my clients now don't reverse. They they just straight back onto food. So <laughs> so when it comes to if you've got, say, a client that you've got, they're at the show and then you bump the calories up, when you go into the offices, do you do any mini cuts to bring it in? Because I'm not by any means um, a training coach. I know a bit just because of my coach myself, but I would never call myself a training coach. <laughs> But I know what he does personally with myself is he pushes my food up and then he actually said to me, I would push your food more, but it's most likely going to be more body fat than muscle at this stage. So he pulls me in for a mini cut and then pushes me back up. Is that something that you do? Or if you could kind of give the science behind that, it'd be really interesting. I, I've never done it with clients um, purely because I work with, um, with all, none of my girls are... Um, they're all natural girls, and so it's very hard, you know, yourself to build muscle um, as a natural girl. So for me, putting them into into an energy deficit um, is counterintuitive to to building muscle when it's it's a hard process anyway. You know, in a full off season cycle, you could gain what like a kilogram of muscle if you're a natural female, like you know. So for me, putting them in a deficit then it. it minimizes the time that they have to actually grow um i think that the reason people do it um, and my partner's a coach and he's done this with some some men that he works with it's partly so that they can you can just see what you've actually what you're actually doing so you know yourself as you gain body fat your muscles sometimes even look smaller because they're kind of hidden by body fat and you you're like where's it gone yeah <laughs> Yeah, exactly. It's like, I had more muscle when I was leaner. How is that possible? But it's obviously hidden a little bit from body fat. So I think the reason people do it is because you you strip away a little bit of the body fat and you can see where the muscle is. Um, I know that some people, some bodybuilding coaches think that you can grow more um, in that when you're at a certain level of body fat, but there's no science really to back that up. Um, I can't remember what the percentage is. I looked into it because it's not something that I'd been taught before, and I knew that some bodybuilding coaches did that, um, and they tried to maintain. I think for a man, it's something like 7% body fat, but I'm not sure where it's apparently the optimal to build muscle, but there's no science behind that. So with my girls, I just make sure they're in, a, in an energy surplus. It's the most effective way for them, I think, to grow. Uh. So you yeah. mentioned about one kg of muscle that you can build. Over what time frame would that be, ideally? So that's kind of estimating, and it depends on if somebody is well-trained or not. If you've got somebody that's already quite well-trained um, in, like, one off-season cycle, so say four to six months, you might gain maybe a kilogram of muscle mass. Um, but if you've got somebody that's really untrained, then you could build more than that. Also, if somebody is just completely 
they've trained, but they haven't really followed structured nutrition before. So they've got that potential to really maximize growth. Then you might get more. Um, and everyone's very different. You know, some people can grow muscle really easily and some people takes a lot, a lot longer and females take a lot less. It will grow a lot less than men, unfortunately. Um, you know, it's so annoying. <laughs> That's if, you know, if it's optimal and you know, you're not too genetically stunted in the muscle growing. Um, it's probably not the right terminology to use. But you know what I mean. Um, Makes it sound like it's just if you basically if you're smaller then you might say joke. Oh, funny. So, um, yeah. how much muscle is? I guess this is. I know this question's got to be maybe a bit rubbish to answer, but how much muscle do you think you ideally need? Like, say you're a first-time competitor and they come to you. Is they kind of like? Do they have to say they come to you at like I don't know, 160 pounds? And they're like five foot ten. Yeah, I'm just basically talking about me right now. But obviously I'm not a first timer. But say someone came to you like that, would you use scales to see that whether they've kind of gained enough muscle to then go down for a contest prep? Like, how do you gauge when someone is ready? Because I know the scales can't tell anything, but they do somewhat give a good indicator. Yeah. I, well, first off, you always need more muscle than you think. You always need more muscle. I think that one of the first that one of the things that I get a lot of is people saying that they want to do, you know, a show in six months time. Really, um, it's always more than you think. I'm always surprised when, you know, I'm still like I need to grow and I want to build another few kilograms of muscle. And I've been training for five years, whatever it is. It's always more than you think. Um, I judge it with clients. So I'll never just put somebody on a prep straight away if they've come to me and I've not worked with them yet. I'll always make sure that I work with them for at least three or four months, very, very minimum. Um, and I'll judge if they've got enough muscle. I tend to judge it by scale weight, um, looking at like their BMI, so their healthy BMI. As some indicator, I look at their strength in the gym. So we do we work with progressive overload, so I get them to track all of their lifts. And if they're strong in the gym, that's a, a quite a good indication that they've got some muscle there. Um, measurements as well. So um, alongside taking measurements, hips, waist, etc. Um, and then I judge on their calories, their calories that they're eating and, their, and what's happened to their weight over, say, a month. If you've got somebody on quite a high calorie intake and they're maintaining weight, then they're, they're, and they're not overly active. So none of my clients will be doing cardio in off season. Um, so if they're maintaining weight, then I think they've probably got enough muscle mass because their training intensity is probably high. I don't tend to, I, I never use the muscle scales, it, the, you know, bioelectrical impedance. So the scales that you get in boots and stuff, I never use them because they're not accurate at all. Um, some of my clients use them and they'll send me their data just because I test them and I say, that's fine. You can use it and you can tell me it, but I'm not used to anything other than going, okay, that's great. <laughs> um, never use them. They're not accurate at all. It just messes with people's minds. I remember that. I remember, I think, two years ago when I was at uni, the, I was at Exercise for Last, and they had this machine, and I'd go on it one day, and I'd be like 18% body fat. I'd be like, woo! The next thing, like 24, I'd be like... Yeah, absolutely. It's ridiculous. When I, I remember when I was doing my master's, we had to use bioelectrical impedance we use like four different methods of body fat measurement and some of them were you know gold standard type ones so scans and things and the body fat percentage range like 10 to 15 percent then if you use you know like if you get your skin folds done by somebody um then we use skin folds and then 
From that, you can use different um, equations to calculate body fat from the numbers that you get on skin folds. And there's loads of different equations. And then, so we did four different equations and then your body fat ranged again another 10 to 15%. So if you use, if you use these different methods, your body fat could be anything from 12% to 30% each time you do it. So if you've got a good practitioner measuring you and stuff, that's fine. But if you're doing it yourself, it's not really accurate at all. <laughs> yeah, definitely. So going on from kind of the scales kind of fact we just spoke about, on your Instagram, I know you've mentioned that you don't tend to wear yourself, um, especially in the off season. And I think I'm very, I kind of do something slightly similar to this. And I've mentioned this before on the podcast of I will look in the mirror before I step on the scales and I will look at how, you know, what I like, what I need to improve. I'll, I'll be very objective. But then when I step on those scales, I know that the scales, it's just a number. It's not. Generally, I'm not trying to link the two so closely together, but that's kind of the way that I, because I, I still like to see where my weight is. That's because how who yeah. I am. But it'd be interesting to see why you, you, know, you, you personally, uh, why you don't weigh yourself and the kind of the pros and cons yeah. potentially around that. I think testament to you being quite a strong, um, strong-minded person, and that you've competed before, and you, and you kind of understand that scale weight is not the be-all and end-all. Um, and so for you weighing yourself in that way is probably quite useful and I think that all of my clients they're not forced to but all of my clients choose to weigh themselves and send me their weight as and so for my client side of things it's useful for me as a nutritionist to then know what to do with their nutrition hello sorry about that Oh, I don't know what happened there. You just froze on the on my screen for ages, and then it just went off. So I got better instead when I went in Malaysia. Anyway, right. Sorry, we're back. What we we're talking about food and scales. Sorry, guys. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. So yeah, I don't weigh myself in off season. I weigh myself on prep, but not in off season because um, I monitor my. My obviously my off season goal is trying to build muscle, um, and I monitor that by progressive overload. So if my weights are going up in the gym, um, I know how much I'm eating. Even though I don't track my food in off season, I I am very much aware of how many calories I eat because because of my nutrition background and because I've prepped before and things. I know what how much is in most food, and I can't switch that off. So I know that I'm eating in the surplus. Um, so weights for me don't really make you know, scale weight doesn't make a difference. I, I can tell in my clothes if I've gained size. Um, I know my bum's got bigger. So those types of things, I don't need scale weight to tell me that, you know. Um, so it's not beneficial. But, you know, as a coach, I, it helps me when my clients weigh themselves because I need to know what's happening with their bodies um, in order to make nutrition changes. So it's easy when you're self-coached to not weigh yourself. Um, it's different if you have a coach. They need that information usually. Yeah. How long have you been... Uh, coaching yourself um so i did one show four years ago three and a half years ago with a coach who was he was fantastic he was really 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 good and he would he took me through an off season and he made me get a little bit fat which i needed at that point um and then he prepped me for my first show and took me out of that again so i was with him for a year and he was great um and but then after that i just i knew that food wise and nutrition wise I needed to try it for myself so then I've done um I've done three competition seasons self-prepped so three years pretty much self-coached um so this will be my fourth year so how do you separate from having 
that kind of judge, I don't know, that coach eye on yourself while not being too self-critical at the same time. I guess that's quite a hard distinction to make um, if you're coaching yourself. Yeah, it's quite hard. I think that um, you, you learn to look at your body, at least in prep anyway, you learn to look at your body as just like a thing. And that sounds really... It sounds quite impersonal and it sounds quite bad, actually. And it's only in prep, um, in off-season, you can look at yourself and love yourself and, you know, treat it well. But on prep, it's very much like you take your progress pictures and like most girls, because we take them in the morning, we chop off our heads and we just look at our bodies and that's it. Um, and so that's the same as me. I'll still I'll still do my progress pictures every week, um, scale weight every week, do my comparisons every week and cut my head off and I just pretend it's the client and um you know you know when you are when you've been dieting for a long time your brain can get a little bit messy um, and your judgment can get a little bit messy but my partner's a coach um and my friends have competed before so if I ever I need that kind of external eye um I can I can say to, to my partner this is what I'm going to do do you agree and so that gives me a second kind of barrier to going I'm not lean enough if I really am so um, it is hard though. I still think that to this day that I probably come in leaner than everyone else because I over diet myself a little bit because you never feel lean enough. And I imagine the coach stopped me earlier. But that's my I know that's my own flaw and I can I work on that each time I compete. So um, it's hard, but I know now that I'd really if someone said to me now eat chicken and rice for every meal, I couldn't cope. <laughs> Not me. Not for me, so I could never go back to having a coach. <laughs> um, really interested to hear this. It's slightly personal, do forgive, but like, I know for my boyfriend, if he's trying to tell me something, because I'm just one of those annoying, I'm just one of those girls, I'll just be like, I don't need no man, I'm like misindependent, like, you're wrong, yeah. sort of thing. And I know when I was first used to go to the gym, my boyfriend, I was very defensive. I actually noticed that, and I was like, why am I being so defensive? But he actually is, when he's like, he, I know that he's saying like something which is right. And I think, how do you kind of decipher that yourself if you're kind of in that prep mode? You want to kill anyone anyway. And then you've got your boy, I don't know, because you know that, you know what I'm trying to say. I guess that's very, very difficult. No, yeah, it is. And I, my boyfriend hates this. I hate training with my boyfriend. He is a fantastic personal trainer and a fantastic coach and he always moans at me and he says why don't you why don't you want to come and train with me but I hate it for, partly for that reason you know he he knows he can tell me something that's probably going to help me and he's got fantastic legs and so I know that I want to grow my legs and so he's like listen to me and come and train with me and I'm like no no I don't want to do it because <laughs> training like you're probably the same training is like your space to be yourself and so when someone tell you what to do even though it's right it's infringing on your like on your space and your time and so you get snappy and you're like da, 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 da. so for me he will never tell me what to do with my like my pictures and and when I'm coaching myself he I'll, I'll show him the pictures and he'll say right what do you think and I'll tell him everything that I think and then, and then he'll say right do you want my opinion he's really good and I and I once he's I think it, yeah yeah it's good um and then once I've once I've said that then he'll say right I agree right and then it's up to me to take it on board sometimes I listen sometimes I don't and <laughs> yeah <laughs> yes, how I handle it just don't train with each other I think <laughs> I'm, it's something that I really have tried to work on myself just because I, I knew that I was just I the reason why I was being so defensive is because I 
because of past relationships with men and all that sort of stuff, I've always felt like I've needed to be on the defensive. And yeah. I think it's being aware of why you kind of maybe do certain things, especially yeah. when you're doing prep, can definitely help. And I think that'd be yeah. quite nice to tie into kind of belief systems and how they can actually impact you, especially when you're going into um, a contest prep or just an off season, just you know, trying to do general fitness um, sort of stuff. I know that I've seen previously that you've done. I think some sort of like mindset training, if I'm correct. Um, what yeah. what sort of training was that? Yeah, so I'm um, a life coach. So I've done. Um, I did. I started a course last year, so I'm not accredited yet. So I still have to do some certain number of hours for that. Um, but it's a a diploma in life coaching. So it's completely different from fitness. Um, nothing to do with fitness whatsoever, really. But it's about how you how your mind stops you from doing what you want to do um, and how, as a life coach, you you get people to realise what limits them um, and get them to realise for themselves um, what they need to do to, to be successful in what it is that they want to do. And so um, it's something that I do with my clients. They probably don't really realise it a lot of the time. Um, but even things like how you word questions and things, it's about getting people to realise their own limiting beliefs and their own what their own goals are what they need to do to kind of get to that point really um and i think we all have our own belief systems and we all have our own values as women i think are very we know what our values are and i have this discussion oh i want to make money or you know i want to be successful women you know they value value love and we value but we're, we know that um and so a lot of the time people don't succeed because they don't they don't link in what they want with their values um and so life coaching is kind of about how you how you get someone if they if they keep failing at something figuring out why they keep failing and how you can link it into their most realize that's why they want to do it um, so with prep it's quite useful because some people don't really realise. They just say, oh, I want to do a show. But they don't really know why. Um, and those are the ones that tend to not make it to the show. So <laughs> it's about trying to figure out how, why they want to do it. Um, yeah, definitely. I think having the why behind everything you do is so important, especially when you're in prep. Because you can get to definitely... Um, oh, I'm getting some playback. I don't know why this signal's being all so awful. I'll cut that bit out. Um, yeah, I think... The- the power of why is so important and I think it's normally that why is the thing that actually pulls you through because if it really does resonate with you you'll you'll push through regardless but if that why isn't strong if it doesn't resonate with you personally then yeah you're all, you're, you're setting yourself up to fail but not because you're not good you're not so you're not good at it maybe it just it isn't strongly connected to you as you probably thought it might have been yeah and I think that's why and you you probably know this yourself from people that you follow and people that you've spoken to I'd say the majority of girls who compete successfully have had some sort of adverse situation in their past that has made them want to do it and and that's their why. And so, you know, when you're crying in the squat rack um, at four weeks out, you remember that situation, you go, this is why I'm doing it. To Whether it's a big screw you to a certain person or whether you're just trying to show that you are strong enough to get through something or whatever it is, I'd say the majority of successful competitors have something in their background or their history that, that's made them want to do it. The ones that tend to give up after a show, and that's fine, 
you know, are people that they just want to do it because they've seen somebody on Instagram and they look amazing. Um, and that's totally fine to do that. And it's a great experience. And I, and I would always encourage people to do it if they want to do it. Um, but, you know, long term, that their why might not make push them through as much, you know, when it gets really hard. I don't know if that's your if that's your experience of girls that compete, that's from what I've seen in clients and friends. It's generally that. So what's your why then? Uh, um, <laughs> you fell into that one. <laughs> I did walk straight into it, to be fair. Um, when I started, I was doing my PhD um, in Loughborough, and it's at Loughborough's like a really sporty uni, and I was with loads of men. And I... Um, so all my friends were, were men and I had a, a really, to put it nicely, a bit of an, an asshole boyfriend at, at that point um, who made me feel like a bit of a weak woman. And I'm very, I'm quite a strong woman. Like my mom is so, like my mom's my hero. She's so strong and she always pushed me to be like really independent. Um, and then he kind of took that out of me a little bit. Well, I let him, I, it came out of me in that relationship. Um, and so I went through a lot of things and and so for me like weightlifting with some of the boys were like right come on we're going to go and I'm going to go and train and I was like oh, okay let's just you know let's just try something new and then you know yourself weight training makes you feel so strong um and so independent and that's really why I got into it. I started loving weight training um and I thought and I love a challenge so I thought oh, I'm just gonna just try and compete um and so that's really why now I don't think about that situation at all now I just love it and I love weight training and it's my life, but to start off with, it was that kind of asshole man, <laughs> really, <laughs> to put it nicely. <laughs> You're no, not like <laughs> I know exactly what you mean. Um, I came from a person from two different standpoints. Uh, I don't think I've actually told anyone this. So when I was growing up, I grew quite quickly. And when mm-hmm. I was six, my hips dislocated at the sockets. Both of them went, the most oh painful thing I've ever been in my life. And um, they got, Luckily, they clicked back in, the most painful thing in my life again. Um, and then growing up, I always had real bad problems with my hips and my knees. Like, and I grew quickly, which didn't help the situation. And I was always in pain, like always, always, always in pain. I'd walk down the stairs, pain. I'd try and run for a bike. I couldn't run. I, I knew I couldn't run anywhere. Um, and I couldn't do so many things. And that was actually my why to get into weightlifting. Not because I wanted to compete, because I actually just wanted to wake up in the morning and not go ow <laughs> and not have the bus run past me also drive past me and I'm going like I can't even run for it you know what I mean like yeah, yeah, just stuff like that and um and as well I had a bit of a shitty relationship and I remember there was kind of two sides it was kind of the hip bit and I wanted just to feel men- mentally and physically strong just so I knew that if I was ever in a situation that I could kind of handle myself you know what I mean yeah absolutely but yeah I think Obviously, people come from it for different standpoints. If you've come from competing because of the different reasons, it doesn't mean it's any less or any more, but I think making sure it really does connect with you, um, mm-hmm. I think it's really, really important. Yeah, it sounds like ever. You've got some good reasons there. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy when I think about now, you know, a few years back, it's just, I, I just, I laugh and I really do think about my mates because they're just like, you, fitness, no. Just <laughs> no. The first one to get engaged, no. Like, <laughs> thing, like no, that was not you. But, um, so I guess from being just your opinion on this, like, what do you think? How do you develop the right mindset to be a 
long-term successful and sustainable bikini competitor in the industry at the moment because i think people so sometimes i personally feel the industry can kind of control you you as a person kind of sway you but i think you've got to have that really strong mindset to be able to kind of switch the other way so what do you think is kind of required in this day and age to be a really good competitor with a good mindset good question (laughs) (laughs) it can be really really hard with social media now really really hard because on social media you know yourself you have the competitors that put across this image of just perfection all the time then you have the competitors who um i hope that we're more like and your listeners are probably like who are very honest um and try and portray all of the mindset associated with it but then you have this kind of subgroup that has now developed over maybe the last 12 months that is an honest group, but they're not so honest. So they, they talk about being honest because they think that it's the done thing to do and it's going to help people. But unfortunately, they're not really honest. They, they say that they are, but they're not. So they're the types that say, oh, my first eye is going fantastically, but I had a little bit of a wobble last night, but it's all good and I'm back on it today. When really they've had a horrendous binge, they've cried themselves to sleep at night. Um, but they, you know, they want to portray this sort of image, honest image. And I think that that's, as a new competitor, and, you know, if you have somebody that wants a successful, like, long-term career in it, you have to first off look at social media and just realise that 90% of it, unfortunately, is a bit of a lie. And it's really hard to to know yourself, who's been honest and who's not. Um, but the best thing to do from that is just look at social media like with a pinch of salt almost. You know, be inspired by who you want to be inspired by, but know that it, it is that kind of cliche. It's a highlight reel. Um, and competing doesn't really have a lot to do with social media, unfortunately. Um, people's journeys are not what they say on social media. Um, I think you need to educate yourself. And I think that educate yourself in, into the process. You know, educate yourself in nutrition and training. The more you know, regardless of whether you have a coach or not, the more informed you are, the healthier your mindset is going to be. Um, so all of my clients, I will always try and educate them into to why they're doing what they're doing. And some of my most successful clients, they are flexible. I give them macros and nothing else all the way up to peak week. And then straight after they've done their show, macros again and they're back on it and they're off again and they're doing what they need to do because they've educated themselves into what works for them. And and trying to follow what somebody does on social media or something that you've read in a magazine, that's where your your mindset is going to get a bit messed up because it's not what you necessarily need. I've done it myself. When I started, I, I looked at a certain pro bikini girl at that time. And I remember reading that she had 30 grams of oats and whey in the morning and she always did fast cardio. And so even though I knew it was rubbish, I started doing that because I was like, that's what I need to do. And I never got anywhere, and then my mindset was screwed because I wasn't making progress like I thought I should because she said that that's what you had to do. So I think it's about educating yourself um, and accepting that it's really, really tough. <laughs> um, accept that it's tough, but be uncomfortable with that. If you're prepping, and I say this to my clients a lot, be uncomfortable. Be comfortable with being uncomfortable. It's going to hurt. It's going to challenge you. Um, but moaning about it is not going to get you anywhere. You know, be positive or don't do it. <laughs> definitely I think the power of anticipation is so important when you come into a prep because you know like this is something that I want to personally develop and learn more about the brain and all that sort of stuff because I've found it fascinating since I've been doing this for the past six months but 
you know, there's two different sides to the brain. There's the rational side of the brain and well, part of the brain, and then there's the yours probably know this better than I will. Um, so there's, so there's, there's, there's a rational part, the logical part of the brain, and the part that goes on impulse. And if you don't anticipate and learn and develop the logical side of that brain, as soon as something come, it comes across you when you do conscious stuff and it shocks you, your brain's automatically going to use the irrational side of the brain, the fight or flight response, to deal with that situation. Whereas if you just try and switch it, when you go into a contest prep, when you come out of a contest prep, you know what you're putting yourself in. I've said this previously on my post-show playbook episode. It's like going into a GCSE exam without revising. Who did that? No one. So <laughs> it's exactly the same principle. You know, you did your mock papers. You knew. You prepared yourself. Yeah. You just go in and be like, oh, well, some people winged it. They got A's. Screw you all. So jealous. <laughs> but, you know, I think that's so important when you go into... Um, a contest whether you're a first time competitor or someone just me that's kind of done it I think my well first or second time or someone mm-hmm. like yourself that's been doing it for ages if you depending on where you're on that level on that scale just try and increase your knowledge and build not just your body but your brain at the same time yeah. do it for yourself so I encourage my clients all the time you know I will say ask me anything that you're not sure about ask me anything you want to know great but Go out and find these things for yourself. You know, sometimes my client will ask me a question, say, you can get that information for yourself. And I would expect, I expect my clients to go off and do this for themselves because I I don't have all the answers, but also you should want to know more. You know, when you were doing your GCSE, you didn't say to your teacher, what's the answer for that? You know, you get the clues, then you have to go and figure it out for yourself. And it is exactly the same thing. Um, Nobody's going to tell you all the answers and, and you know what you need to what you individually and you personally is going to help you on your journey. So you need to take responsibility for that. You're, it's not your coach's responsibility. It's not your friends. Um, you need to go off and do it. And and nobody around you really cares. And that's another really important thing, I think, is that your parents, yeah, your parents don't care if you're miserable. You're doing it to yourself. So go and do it. And it's the same as, you know, oh, my colleagues are, are t- telling me off for not eating cake. Well, tough shit. Sorry. You know, you can't, but it, nobody cares. And that's the thing. And I think that nobody cares that you're prepping. You choose to diet. People diet all the time. You know, look at the people right now. It's January. 80% of people in this world are on a diet right now. Um, nobody cares. Who my dad? My dad's been doing the no carb diet, bless him. He's been on about it for the past, oh, all of yesterday. Do no carbs, jazz. Yeah, that's great. Is that the right thing? I'm like, I've got, got to the point. I just, I'm just going to say yes. Yeah, Dad. Yeah, great. <laughs> but yeah, sorry, it's true though because you don't really care, and so you know nobody's going to give you the answers. They don't really care, apart from you and your coach. You know, go off and find it for yourself. Go off and be interested in yourself. Um, and that's you know another thing for your mindset. You know, accept that it's your responsibility to do these things, not your coach's, not your. Sorry, it cut out then, so I just saw you laughing. I was like, I don't know why she's laughed. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I don't know. I don't know why. (laughs) No, I think I love what you said about no one gives a crap about your goals. There was one um, mindset episode I listened to last year, and oh, my God, it was like a game changer. It literally said, no one gives a crap about you. And it sounds so harsh, and it's just so not like, you know, what people like to kind of hear, but... It's so true, like, no one cares if I'm up until late at night. No one, like, 
you know, you put it on your Instagram story, you put, you know, but at the end of the day, people are selfish. They naturally are selfish. Not because they're horrible, because that's just how we were, you know, that's how we were as cavemen. We had to be selfish to survive. And it's still like that now. And I think it's it can be difficult sometimes to go into a contest prep. Well, I remember when I first went into a contest prep, I was very much expecting to have this massive support system. And I was like, well, why? Like, it's not helping them. Yeah. And we've all done it. We've all done it and we all do that first prep where we ditch our friends because we are too tired or, you know, we don't go for dinner with our friends because we're like, well, I can't eat that, you know, um, and and you lose a lot of your social side and all of that things because you are so engrossed in yourself um, and you think that people will understand and people will care, but really they don't and it's your responsibility to to just be normal whilst you diet. You know, it's it's not, it shouldn't take over your life. It's hard, but it shouldn't take over your life. And, yeah, I just think, um, and I'm very, well, you know, I'm very supportive and I am very, I will support people wherever I can. But it is that message that, you know, my mum doesn't care if I'm dying. If she's made eggs on toast for breakfast or she wants to go out for brunch, then I'm going to make it work because that's what's important to her. And, and, and of course, she supports me and that's that's something completely different yeah. but, it, but it is that thing everyone has their own goals and you, you, the best thing you can do for yourself is just realise that nobody gives a crap and you just have to get on it yeah. <laughs> harsh but true oh it's so true though it's so true I love that too so from, well I, I know there's certain things that some people do um, in the morning and the evening to kind of improve their mindset and train their brain in that kind of way is there anything that you do at all that you think could be potentially um but they're beneficial for any bikini competitors listening <laughs> well i'm bloody free so you got in so you got into meditation yes all meditation. i heard was i got into it <laughs> okay um yeah i got into meditation because i do a lot of work on mindful eating and i came across mindful eating first as a concept um, and then as I learned more and more about mindful eating, I realized how important meditation was to support that. So I started working a lot of meditation and then I looking into it and doing a lot of research on it. And there's loads of evidence to support how um, meditation and mindful eating can improve food relationships and how you think about food, binge eating disorder or any sort of disordered eating. It can support fat loss. So um, meditation is something that I, I'm doing more and more and I will I always set my clients well some of them just don't buy into it and that's fine um you know you have to be you have to be really open to to want to do it I think um but it, it's incredible for your mindset for anxiety and so I've got a really good strong group of girlfriends who have competed in the past or still compete now and we are all in different jobs um but we are all very like the same mindset of being super independent you know get on with life and all of us have all of us meditate and and try and do it at least every day or every other day um it's the best thing you can do for your mindset um for concentration for productivity for any sort of relationship stuff with food um it's the best thing you can really do just focuses you and grounds you and kind of gives you that perspective that sometimes you forget about do you um do you have do you use certain apps on your phone or anything like that do you independently do it yeah so i use the cam app which is um 
so I know there's a couple of apps out there. I use the Cam app and I like I have the paid subscription, but I think it's only like three pounds a month or something. It's not an extortion one. Um and it's phenomenal. It's got um it's got different durations of meditation. It's got options to do for when you're walking, which so people say they don't have time for meditation, which I really struggle with because I used to work two full-time jobs and I still had time to meditate and prep. So I know that there's time. Um, but walking meditation you can do, obviously, when you're walking to work or, or whatever it is. They also have, kind of off topic, but they also have um, playlists where Stephen Fry reads out lullabies so he, till you fall asleep, which is literally just incredible. <laughs> I've never heard of this. It's insane. So... Get the cam app and listen to Stephen Fry talk you to sleep. It's, it's great. Um, <laughs> so good. Um, so, yeah, I use that app and I, I really recommend it. Um, it. It's easy to fit into your day and it has options for anxiety, for sleep, um, for all different things that you could be struggling with. So it's really, really useful. Because I've tried... Um headspace i've tried calm and then i've moved on to simple habit and they have got one on eating actually and i've started to do it probably the past not actually that long past three weeks and it talks about you will know more than this and i will but it talks about actually looking properly at your food and i was getting into the habit of i was trying to do so many things at once i was doing work while eating and doing this and checking xyz and then i wasn't i wasn't full and i was getting like really like anxious and kind of like oh I'm great I'm going to have to wait three more hours to my next meal when it actually wasn't the fact that and I didn't have enough food I didn't give my brain enough time to actually have the signals to say you're eating you're full that sort of thing I think it's so powerful I really do think it is really great for anyone that's struggling with um you know that think you're eating and kind of going oh I'm, I'm you know I'm still kind of half full half hungry yeah and that's what that's what people just don't people don't realize how how important it is to actually concentrate on your eating because like if you're somebody like you who's so busy you do just do that you eat when you're standing up you have the tv on or you're talking to your partner or who, whatever it is and you're not focusing on what you're doing and i think when you're dieting this is going to be the first prep that i've done where i'm going to be incorporating a lot of mindfulness into my prep so it'll be interesting to see how different it is for my hunger um but one of the so i put a lot of infographics out on my social media and that some of them i've put around this kind of mindful eating process and you know sitting down before a meal and doing like a mini meditation so just taking stock of where you are and what you've got in front of you um and eating really slowly of course so doing things like eating chopsticks or a teaspoon it sounds really ridiculous but it forces you to slow down. If you are starving, you know yourself, you demolish it within 30 seconds and then you're like, I don't even know what I've just eaten. So slowing down, you know, having like a little hunger scale in your head. So say, right, you know, on a scale of one to 10, how hungry are you? 10 being, I'm absolutely famished. I feel like I'm going to pass out. And one being not at all. You know, rate your hunger before you start, rate your hunger during it and rate your hunger again after it and really listen to kind of how you feel. Um, Again, things that you never do. You would never just think to yourself, oh, I'm, I'm a number six out of ten on hunger. But it forces you. It forces you to think about it. And it also stops people from going into the food cupboard and saying, oh, I need to have some chocolate. Well, actually, I'm not hungry at all. Why do I need to have chocolate? Oh, it's because I feel sad. Okay, right, what can I do instead? Because chocolate's not going to make me feel any happier. Well, maybe temporarily, but not long term. <laughs> um, 
So yeah, mindfully, and I think um, what it, whatever that app is that you that that what did you say that app was that you said you does that? Um, simple habit. They've got five minutes, yeah, I think that's minutes or twenty minutes um, versions, which is quite good. Yeah, I think that's probably really useful for people. I'm going to look into that because it's something that I do with clients, and I can develop all the infographics in the world, but sometimes people like someone talking to them at the time, so that's quite good. Cool. Yeah, it's good because they have an area that it's kind of it's got like this circle of a wheel, and it kind of has different situations. So it's like in the morning, you're on a work break, you're commuting, you're walking, you're eating, you're stressed, you've got a really important like event coming up. You're just about to go to bed. So it's quite nice because you can kind of go like on impulse and it kind of, yeah, it's really tailored, really, really good. And I I do quite a lot of times. If I've got a really big business meeting or a new client that I'm like, you know, feeling a bit agitated, I will literally just go SOS at an important event. And then if I've got 10 minutes, great, 5, 20, whatever. And it's, it's really good because then it will just tailor into what you need at that time. That's cool. Just look into that app. It sounds sounds good. Mm, I think it would definitely great for you as well. If you're kind of, I think I have, I think I have got one area which says exercise. I've not tried it yet. But if you're doing like cardio and stuff, because I know you just started, yeah, started your prep. Yeah. So when you just said, well, before we kind of started the recording, you said that you've started your prep. So what's your kind of plans for this year? Yeah, so I'm doing body power. Um, I'm going to do the pro show, which is like this Sunday. So last year I did that show, but last year I did body power on the Saturday and then won my class. So I got invited to do the pro show the next day. Um, two shows, one day after the next. I would never recommend it and don't do it. <laughs> Especially if your family are there and I'll go out for dinner that night and you can't have anything. It's not fun. Um, <laughs> Yeah, but worth it, but not fun. And um, so this year I'm going to do the just I'm just doing the pro show on the Sunday, um, and then I'm I've already qualified for finals, so I don't need to do another show um, before that. So I'll do finals in October, and then the PCA Worlds is two weeks after that. So I'll do finals and then Worlds. So at the moment I've only got those three shows penciled in. So awesome. So is it? So did you qualify for the PCA finals because you came second or because you're doing the pro or because you're... Um, yeah, so I... Yeah, um, top two from finals qualify for finals next year. So I qualified for that. And then I've qualified for the pro um, show at Body Power and for Worlds because I'm, all, because I'm part of Team GB. And the selection for that was um, people that did well at finals that they thought should be part of it. So it wasn't like a strict selection criteria. Um, so that's why I'm doing the pro show. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so are you doing any of the international shows or anything like that? Have you ever? Sorry, I don't know how it works. Team GB. Yeah. So the pro show is class international show. It's just that it happens to be in Birmingham this time. Um, and there are loads of international shows. PC. I've got like loads of international shows this year. So I'm just keeping an eye on them. Um, I want to go away for summer. So. Um, I won't be around, so that's kind of why I'm planning them around summer. Um, I'm kind of done with the whole planning life around prep. I'm trying to plan prep around life, which is nice. Um, so that be my first like that is classes in international show, the, the body power one, and then I'll just see I'll just see after that. Um, international shows are quite different. They go for a much bigger, more muscular look, so it's quite different to what um, a prep would be for a normal show. So. It's a new challenge for me, so we'll see. We'll see how it goes. <laughs> awesome. Sounds good. So does that mean that you'll have to, 
come in slightly, well, not as lean. Is that kind of where, like, I don't know how it works to kind of look more muscular. <laughs> yeah, it's hard. It's hard. Um, for me, it's going to be coming in not so, not going to diet for so so much. So I'll come in heavier um, and in the hope that I'm a bit fuller. Um, it's all trial and error, really. So I know my body. Uh, I know what I have to do. I need to just... I just need to not diet so hard, which is quite a nice place to be. Um, but dieting early, I'm starting earlier, a lot earlier this time because I've got some things coming in from between now and the show. So I'm starting a really early diet. So I'll just have to take it really slow. But that means some pieces, probably. So that's fine. <laughs> Sounds good. Sounds good. Okay, I think we should wrap it up here. I've We've covered so much. And thank you so much for coming on because I... I feel like we could just talk for hours and hours about mindset. <laughs> I always end every single episode with a question for you and what makes you not just a bikini girl. So this has to be something which isn't related to fitness or nutrition or anything about that. Something that people wouldn't know about you. <laughs> oh God. Oh, I was I I'm thinking I was like what do people not know about me? And I'm like, I'm so transparent on social media. Oh, God. Have you got any, like, random hobbies that you just that you do, apart from fitness? My whole life is fitness. It's so sad. Like, I thought, like, I thought, right, well, I'm a life coach. That's that's something different. And then I thought, oh, but that's on, then you just said, it's, not, it's on your Instagram. And I'm like, oh, that's on my Instagram. And then I'm like... <laughs> Yeah, I thought, oh, it's different because, you know, I've got a PhD. And I'm like, well, that's on my Instagram. And I'm like, oh, God. <laughs> I, actually have, I actually have no no life and no hobbies. That's really, really bad. Um, oh, God. Can you speak any languages? No. <laughs> what did you want to be when you grew up? A doctor, and I am one. Like, not a medical one, but I still am one. <laughs> Actually, smashed it. I love it. That's really bad. Okay. Okay, when you go to Nando's, what level spice do you have? <laughs> oh, that's rubbish. That's really bad. I literally have nothing about myself. Mm, I've had a marathon once. I can eat a whole Domino's pizza, large, by myself. That's an achievement. That's pretty good. I mean, that's, that's really sad, but that's quite a big achievement for me. <laughs> That's really bad. It's not bad. It's not bad. You live and breathe this shit and it's good and you love it, so it's all good. I'm... Oh god, that's so sad. Do you know what? You'll probably mm. think of something when you end this when we end this podcast. <laughs> right, guys. If um if Amelia comes back to me, I'm gonna add this bit at the end of this podcast. If she comes back to me and thinks of something different. But um yeah, I hope you guys have enjoyed listening to this podcast about mindset, training, body pretty much everything about the competing world that I feel like needs to be spoken about so thank you so much for coming on I'm going to put all the details to find if you want to contact uh, Amelia personally follow on social media anything like that please go look in the podcast description notes right now and you can go ahead and do that so thank you so much Amelia and um yeah thanks guys for watching